themes um, on Palm Sunday as we commemorate that day when Jesus walked into Jerusalem knowing that he was going to die. It seems very appropriate that our subject is we believe he came to save us. And uh, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to to be saved. I I wonder if any of us here this morning have had an experience of being physically saved. You hear about people being saved from drowning or, or maybe we've been saved physically through an operation, through surgery, and we wouldn't have lived and and we're alive here today. I I feel sometimes a bit like that about the accident that I had a couple of years ago, a bike accident, and I don't think that I was saved by an operation, but I, I do know I could have died. And so to be saved is is a wonderful thing. And I think it's even more wonderful to be saved spiritually. And so I want, to, I want to do three things this morning. I, I want to look at, at what we've been saved from, in a way what the problem was. And then I, I want to look at the solution. What, what has God done for us that addresses the problem? And then I want to finish with a story. So those, those two passages that we looked at, they're very meaningful passages to me personally and not in a kind of once upon a time sense where I I look back at something that that God once did for me when I first got saved if you like when I first came to faith but in a really present sense of how I see God saving me on a day-to-day basis I see God extending and, and deepening his his saving into my life and making it more and more real for me and, and more, making me more and more free in that. And so that, that first verse is, is Galatians, is Genesis 3. And I don't mind whether you see that as literal or not. I think that either way, it recounts something that is profoundly true for all of us. And so... What's gone before that passage that James read is the account of creation, isn't it? Where God creates the world, he creates Adam and Eve, and it says that in the image of God, he created them. Man and woman in his image, he created them. So there's Adam and Eve, and they're placed in the garden to enjoy all of creation, and there's they can help themselves to anything that's there except for one tree that's there in the garden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, of that tree, you may not eat. Now, that's not, I don't think, an obedience test. That's the gift of God giving us freedom. That's the gift of of God's freedom to his creation. So we, we... we have this glorious picture created. And I don't know if you've ever wondered what would it have been like for Adam and Eve in that place, in the garden, walking with God. It it says that they were naked and unashamed. What would that be like? Naked and unashamed. Everything about them was seen. I I think that means inside and outside. (laughs) Everything was seen and there was nothing that they felt bad about 
in that. That's quite a picture, isn't it? I kind of think we can conclude from that 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 they deeply and profoundly knew that they were okay. They knew that they were acceptable. They knew that they were loved. They knew that they had worth and dignity and that they were loved in that place of being naked and, and unashamed. And then, as we saw in the passage, something happens. And for the first time, we hear a different voice. Up till that point, we've only heard the voice of God. And then along comes another voice, and, and it's the voice of the serpent who plants into Eve's mind this idea that there, there's a tree that they could eat of that would enable them to become like God. Now that's just already a bit strange, isn't it? Because they already were like God. We've been told that, says it twice. They are made in the image of God. So there's something that the serpent is bringing as a temptation. You, you can be like God in and of yourself by something you do. You can become like God without God. There's nothing wrong with being like God. We're designed to be like God. But the temptation is that there's something you can do to become like God without God in a kind of independent way. That we can define our own existence outside of God. And that appeals. And so they eat. And instantly, sin and death enter the human race. And we've all been touched by that. We all know sin and we will all know death. And I think too, with that, everything that they once inherently and innately knew about themselves of being loved and, and, and accepted and okay, it's all up for grabs. And it's like it becomes this question mark inside of them that says, am I loved? Am I okay? Once they knew it, and now they don't. Once they were naked and unashamed, and now they're full of fear and full of shame, and they go and they hide. And in some way or another, that's, that's all of our stories. We all know something of that question mark inside of us now that says, am I okay? Am I loved? Am I any good? Do I measure up? Am I adequate? Am I enough? It might just be on your bad days that, that you hear something of that, the whisper of that question mark. Often it's in our bad nights. We hear it. We hear the question come. Mine goes a bit like this. Liz, you're small and ineffectual and your contribution makes no real difference in the world. That's what I hear on a bad day. And you might have different shades of that, different variations of the question mark, but I think we've all heard it. It's there for all of us. And so into this very real darkness that we all know comes Jesus to save us. You see, the cross, the cross is the answer to that question mark that we carry inside of us, the, the am I enough question mark. 
because it's pulled us back. What Jesus did on the cross has pulled us back into the one place where those question marks are answered. And that's back into relationship with the God who loves us. The cross has pulled us out of all of that alienation, all of that darkness. And in Galatians 2.20, Paul says this extraordinary phrase, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live. You see, Jesus didn't just die for, for us. Jesus wasn't just crucified for us, but we were crucified with him. That old me, I no longer live. That old me that I once was is no longer living it's being crucified with Christ. And I now live with Jesus. And Jesus lives in me. I'm not alone any longer. I'm forever united to God. And nothing can take me out of that place. I've been pulled into a relationship with the, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because of the work of Christ on my behalf. I think Pete said last week, you know, we get to, to participate in the dance of the Trinity. That's an extraordinary thing. So now, when that question mark looms, if, if we want to know, are we loved? Am I really loved? Where, where better place to go than, than, the, than the cross of Christ? Jesus, who loved me, he loved me enough to die for me. He answers that question mark in a way that nothing else ever can. No person and no achievement and no possession and no success can ever answer the question mark inside of you. It will never be enough, but the death of Christ is enough. It's the ultimate proof that you're loved. You're loved by the the God of all creation. It's the ultimate proof that you have worth and value. He loved you enough to die for you. Don't go anywhere else to find the answer to that question, but to, to the cross of Christ. It will forever give you a new identity and it will forever give you a new definition to live by. You, you are made acceptable. You've not just been accepted you've been made acceptable that you're so accepted that Jesus now lives in you and you in him how how safe how more safe and secure could you be than to know the very presence of God dwelling in you so Jesus came to save us and and it's good news and it's profoundly good news in our everyday lives not just a one-off event that happened for me 30 years ago. Where did that go? It, it's everyday good news. And um, you know why I think we sometimes miss it? And Paul alludes to it in, in Galatians 2.21. I think we sometimes miss it because we think we've got to earn it. We think we've now got to be good enough. We think we've got to deserve it by something that we do as good Christians. And in a way, we're almost back to the tree of good and evil, where there's, we're trying to do the thing that's, that will make us acceptable. We're trying to become like God without God. And so we get 
this extraordinary verse in Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness came from the law, i.e. if your, your okayness, it's kind of a bit of a religious word, righteousness, isn't it? Righteousness. It's just really my all rightness. If my all rightness, my okayness, comes from measuring up, doing the things I think I'm supposed to do, to be okay and to get acceptance, then Christ died for no person, for no purpose. Let me read that again. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. (coughs) The gospel does away with any kind of notion of our own personal worthiness. Takes that ground away. And yet, at the same time, there is nothing that you can do to let God down. There's nothing you can do to shake God's acceptance of you. Because nothing of who God is is invested in your performance. So you can never let him down. Nothing of who God is is invested in what we do. So we can never let him down. And the invitation is that we ongoingly, in the everyday places of our lives, when we wake up feeling terrible, or we wake up feeling great, we know that it's not about me. It's all about him. And so I I want to finish with a story. If you've been waiting for that moment, here it is. A story. (laughs) And it's, uh, it's one I came across quite recently, written by a man called Baxter Kruger, a theologian. And he's telling about one particular wonderful day in his childhood when his parents took him to see a baseball game in New Orleans. Orleans. Um, So they lived some distance away and they had this long car journey to get to New Orleans and then they park the car and they get a trolley bus to the stadium and he watches the game, he and his brother and his family. And it's it's just uh, one of those wonderful, memorable days when the sun was shining and his team wins and he's just had a great time together with his family. And then as they're coming out of the stadium, they're coming down this ramp and he, he catches a glimpse of the, of the team, the baseball players, just down along on the road getting onto the buses that are going to take them away and he sees these great heroes so he slips away and he slips down and he's actually there right next to his baseball heroes and he gets to shake someone's hand and he's kind of right next to the coach and he sees them face to face and and he watches as, as one by one they get onto the buses and they drive away and they disappear around the corner and then he looks around and there's no one in sight. Not a single soul in sight. Everyone, all the crowds, they've all dispersed, they've all gone, and he's utterly on his own. And there's no one there. And the most tremendous fear grips his heart, because he knows, not only does he not know where his parents are, but his parents don't know where he is. So he's terrified. And he, he, walk, he describes how he, he, he walks three times around the stadium, just looking, just looking. And he, there's no one. 
and, uh, and, the, and it's beginning to get late, it's beginning to get dark, so he suddenly thinks, well, I've got some money in my pocket, maybe I'll get the trolley bus that we rode in on. Um, but there's lots of trolley buses, so he doesn't know which one to get. And he, he picks one and explains to the driver, and the driver says, well, you know, just stand in, and um, if you see anything that you recognise, just pull on the cord and I'll stop and, and you can get out. So he's desperately looking for something he might recognise, nothing. So he ends up going all the way around on the trolley bus back to the stadium, and... He, he, there's no one there, he's on his own. So in desperation and utter... He's beyond tears now at this point. He just sits down under this oak tree. And then I'll, I'll just pick up what his actual account, what he says. Um, then things got worse. As I sat there, my 12 years of life flashing before my eyes, the stadium lights suddenly went off. I have never experienced darkness like that. Nearly 30 years later, I can still see the darting, haunting shadows of that place and smell the concrete and hear the leaves rustling in the cold wind. I don't know how long I sat there, but it seemed like hours. It was so dark and I was so alone and cold. And then, suddenly, the stadium lights came on. And before I knew what was happening, I was on my feet running around the stadium. Someone had to have turned the lights on. And I was determined with the fire of the universe to find that someone. And then it happened. Over the noise of my footsteps and the pounding of my fears, I heard the most blessed sound in all of New Orleans. It was the most blessed sound I'd ever heard in my life. One word. Baxter! Shouted by my father. One word. Changed everything for him. I think that lostness is ours somehow. We're not 12 years old anymore. But we somehow still know that lostness. Aloneness, fear, depression, anxiety, whatever it might be. It took one word to banish his fear and his lostness. And what was that word? His name, shouted by his father into his darkness. And that's the gospel, isn't it? That's the gospel. God has shouted each one of our names and brought us home brought us back to himself, into relationship. He's found us. He's come to us and found us. And in a strange way, I think Jesus is that word. Jesus is the word, isn't he? W, big capital W. Father has shouted that word into our lives and brought us home. And what greater, deeper assurance can we know of our own okayness? our own acceptance, the question marks silenced, than the Father shouting our name, bringing us home. So may we, this Easter week, be people who increasingly experience Jesus saving us, bringing us home, 
saving us in deeper levels of our lives, rubbing out the question mark and putting a, an exclamation mark in its place.